This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm your host, Peggy Hodgkins, and today we are talking about traversing the Colorado River Basin from the source of the Green River down the Colorado to its delta at the Gulf of California. And I think a lot more of the journey for us was was a journey of our connection to the river and to its people and and to and to see people's connection to one another in the river too. It's satisfying curiosity. It's finding out some new way that the world and the people in it tick. Uh, that really keeps me going. That's what I love about science. That's Michael Feibig. In 2018, he and his wife Jenny embarked on a five-month, 1,800-mile excursion. It involved rowing the entire length of the Green and Colorado Rivers via pack raft, canoe, and dory. Their story involves emotional connection to the river and the inherent connection of people who live along it. I wanted to begin by you talking about the boat you built. I know you had a variety of uh, modes of transportation going uh, down the river, but you did build a custom dory named the Green River. So it'd be really cool to hear you talk about the experience of building that and also what what were you thinking about as you were building it? Yeah, we, we did build a, a custom boat named the Green River and we did it for a number of reasons and, and it came about kind of organically. Both of us have always had a fascination with the, the elegance of dories. We've, you know, rode rafts and kayaked and used a bunch of other craft for a number of years, but didn't have much experience with, right. with dories themselves. But, you know, of course, in the history of, of river running, and especially of running the Green in Colorado, that's what people did. Right. You know, they built their own boat, and then they, then they did the thing. They ran the river. So there is that kind of elegance and full circle piece to it. We also knew we wanted to row the whole river, including all the reservoirs, so over yeah. 400 miles of reservoir. And we knew we wanted to do a fall trip to kind of chase, chase the summer through the season so the weather would be all right. So we needed a boat that did a couple things well. It needed to, it needed to row white water. It needed to be able to row reservoirs well, too. So exactly. it needed to do each of those things, yeah. and it needed to be comfortable for us to live out of for uh, four and a half months. Right. So a dory was a, a really natural solution to doing all of those things. And then our friend, John St. John, owns uh, Hog Island Boat Works out of Steamboat Springs, and he makes roto-molded plastic-hauled boats. He's like, well, hey, I've got this. <laughs> this plastic hull and it might be just what you need which which it was you know because we could scrape it and beat it on low water in the fall and uh and get it over rocks and gravel and so forth and then mike dehoff and crew at eddie line welding here in moab actually helped design and then built out aluminum decking and dry boxes to uh, turn it into a full kind of grand canyon style whitewater dory and that was a lot of fun and a really fun process working with those guys to get that done, too. Yeah, that's fantastic. Did you ta- have, have it out on the water much before you actually launched? We put it on the Colorado here in Moab for a few miles, yeah. and then we took it down the Yellowstone daily stretch, and that was it. <laughs> Getting the boat done and, and everything else done before then was, was 
a, a real race to the finish line. So it didn't it didn't get much water time before it actually launched on the trip. That's awesome. I like the romanticism of going down in a dory. It's fantastic. Yeah, you guys had a bunch of objectives for your journey. What I wanted to key in on, the fact that you wanted to do interviews along the way. I was interested in what were your expectations? So one of the objectives of this trip was about reconnection. And so, I mean, this leads into why we're doing the interviews. So, I mean, Mike and I are in our midlife and (laughs) we used to live out of trucks and be outside a lot more than we do now. And so we talked about how can we reconnect both to ourselves, to each other, to the environment and to others along the river system. That was one of the objectives. And so the interviews were a good way to get an idea of how other people all along the whole system are connected to this, to the green and to the Colorado. We had some interviews planned and some were just organic that, you know, we met them on the on the river and we had a few different questions that we wanted to ask each person mm-hmm. and then the interviews kind of flowed from those questions oh, and nice. so so yeah it was really interesting we got lots of different perspectives from from ranchers way up at the headwaters of the green river to houseboaters and old dory guides or beekeepers and it was pretty amazing to meet all these different people yeah. and and yeah to hear hear their connection regardless of political or you know economic or whatever status you might have everyone pretty much cried in the interviews talking about how deeply they're connected to this the system and so it surprised me right <laughs> um, what was one of the the standard standard questions that you were asking one of them was that so many people get so connected to their little piece of the river and so we asked them, what do you think happens downstream from here? One of them, too, is what message would you want to give to people upstream or downstream from the section that, that you're on? Yeah, I guess, yeah. For my work, too, you know, selfishly, you know, when you, when you do a trip like this, it was technically my sabbatical from river conservation work. But to have the opportunity to kind of assess commonalities or differences mm-hmm. amongst people from the headwaters to the to the estuary is a pretty cool opportunity you know to see that all in one slice you know the Colorado River is one of the it's been called the hardest working river in the world it's it's got a ton of structural water there are a bunch of issues being worked out right now so to be able to talk to people to find what motivates them what connects them what the commonalities are between their their different views and 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 interests was a really good opportunity for conservation work too. Neat. And did you find a, a linear change as you went upstream to downstream or was it kind of all over the place? Was there a definite personality, I guess, that you met as you went along? Or were they all kind of strung together? I, I couldn't say that. I mean, I feel like they were pretty linear that, you know, interviewing a ranch, a, a woman, fifth generation rancher up on the Green River, the headwaters of the Green River, she had similar views and, I guess, perspectives as somebody down t- more towards the Delta. I mean, and I don't know. I mean, obviously different stories. But yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't see a, I, I think I expected to see a change in people's attitudes mm-hmm. to the river and to their connection to it and one another. And we didn't see that at all. I, I think we saw 
in general, people really, really passionate and connected emotionally and, and to kind of their legacy and way of life along the river and, and really caring about those up and downstream too. A fair number of people upstream of the Delta didn't know that the river doesn't reach its estuary anymore still. And people were shocked and, and somewhat offended by it, Yeah, you know, up and down the whole stream. And, and of course that carried over to those who, who know that too, yeah. you know, and, and that are working hard to try to restore the Delta. But it was really neat to see a lot of commonalities. Yeah. And, and a lot of concern and care for people downstream that, wow, if I get this clean water up here, people downstream of me deserve, and I have respect for people to get this clean water as well. People generally willing to talk and not not too uh, yeah. standoffish about it or? Yeah, I'd say so. I, yeah? I, I think people were a little shy at first. Yeah. And, but, oh, you know, what am I gonna say? Or, yeah. And, uh, but I think once people got going, they were pretty forthcoming. Um, even the more reserved, reserved folks, I believe, yeah. Yeah, we, we only had a couple people that we, we wanted to interview that said, oh, let's have a conversation, but I don't really want to be recorded. Most people said that were, that were, you know, even a little hesitant, eventually came around to like, okay, well, you can run that thing in the background. And then after they got comfortable with it, like Jenny said, they, they really opened up. That's good. And what, what was your most memorable either person or factoid you found out from someone talking to someone that you could talk about i think one of the most powerful interviews that we had was the 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 houseboat of 12 guys we ran into a um a group of 12 men that on lake powell and they were waving us over and like (laughs) oh gosh (laughs) who are these guys and we ended up interviewing them. We camped with them that night and had dinner, and and they were a group of, of men that had been coming together for the past almost 20 years, and they, a men's therapy group originally, and men anywhere between the ages of like 55 up to like 80. Wow. Just so, you know, men in our culture tend to have the stereotype of being really, you know, strong, and we're going to like not talk about our feelings, and these guys were really open and reading poetry to us and singing songs about, you know, their connection to place and and their place in the world and and that they tend to connect around water. Like they, most of their trips are are either Lake Powell or some other places around water. It, that that was a meaningful one for me. It, it was it was pretty funny. We were it was near the es- where the Escalante drainage comes into uh, Lake Powell and and it was. One of our first nice days in a really long time, we had a lot of rain on Powell. We were rowing, we were trying to make a lot of miles, and it was getting toward dark, and we were trying to make a campsite. And yeah, you have a, a houseboat of 12 guys waving you over in the dark. And we're thinking, wow, this is, this is the start of a bad B-movie or something, you know? Should we really do this? And we had this little conversation. We're like, no, we, we said we were going to say yes to things like this, you know? And, and, and we were really glad that we yeah, did. We and what they fed us amazing food. Yeah. That's great. It's, it's neat. Uh, it's a neat perspective. You don't really expect to meet people along the river who want to talk to you and ask you, how, how why are you here? And what, what do you enjoy about it? So I, I'm sure like these guys probably really enjoyed meeting someone who actually was interested in yeah. what they were doing. So yeah. I think it was great. 
what data or like say daily readings or data were you keeping along the way besides just you know a, maybe a diary or something but what what kind of data were you keeping as you went along and or observations I guess or data and or type thing we did each religiously keep a journal and we we did a catalog of sounds not only not only of uh, the interviews we did, but we did some other ambient noise uh, or background kind of wild sound along the way too with the idea of putting the whole thing into kind of an audio story. We have not done that yet (laughs) 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 because because we've realized how much work that'll be, uh, but it's still out there. We didn't take any specific data points. We took some observations, you know, like we recorded when we saw the first tamarisk tree, when we saw the first Russian olives, you know, when, you know, kind of the gravel bar ecosystem started to change and disappear. We got things like, you know, algal mats, you know, rocks not forming, stuff like that. But we weren't taking any data. We didn't have, you know, the scientific instruments to take, you know, say temperature or anything like right. that or, set, or uh, you know, any anything else. Cool. So yeah. your observations, say, above and below dams, emotional reactions did, did you have to go through to, to deal with that? I, I remember the uh, Fontenelle was the first reservoir that we came across and so we had been the whole headwaters you know hiking up into the winds and and traveling down so that was the first reservoir that we got to and I just remember this stark contrast of you know trees and a changing ecosystem where the, the river kind of is able to go back and forth and but coming to Fontenelle it was it was like we got to the beach and and it was so i just remember feeling like wow this doesn't feel right and we didn't see as many birds or as many you know we'd been seeing elk and or uh, moose and deer and we didn't see them at the reservoir so i just remember feeling pretty sad about that like but i just remember feeling that major contrast between the the free flowing and the and the reservoir there are 11 main dams on the, the green Colorado system. So we kind of had this pattern as we were going down, starting from way up in the upper green, like Jenny said, where you'd have a river, you know, that had some naturalness to it, you know, some sinuosity and meander and gravel bed ecosystems and scouring and sediment movement. And then you'd get to the reservoir and all that would stop. And then you'd put in back on the river below the dam and it was like a little aquarium. It was clear all the sediment dropped out it was colder it had algae and and hemmed in banks and and then slowly as we travel through these these sections side tributaries would come in and that naturalness would come back as you went down river from the you know the ebb and flow of the side tributaries that weren't dammed so it'd get this it'd get sediment back into it and get some meander and normal vegetation and then you'd hit the next reservoir and the pattern would start all over again. It'd be it'd be an aquarium again. Some sometimes, you know, we'd we'd go twenty or thirty miles before, maybe a hundred miles even before a river started feeling natural again. Wow! And it would stay in that state of kind of yeah, kind of you know clear dancing. and never getting a, a a peak flow in the spring mm-hmm. or a, you know um, a fairly constant water flow, yeah. fairly hemmed in vegetation on the side, you know, kind of armored banks. Yeah, and then it'd take some passing some major tributaries in order to kind of blow those out and turn it into a normally functioning river again. 
until until the lower Colorado and the lower Colorado is so I mean there's dam after dam after dam so that the river doesn't have a chance to recover it never yeah yeah and that would be from below which dam to Mexico we kind of reached peak naturalness and kind of flow and scouring and stuff in Cataract Canyon mm-hmm. and then after we hit Powell even even as amazing as the Grand Canyon is and as hard as scientists are trying with peak flows and pulse flows and stuff in there to maintain that that naturalness mm-hmm. basically from Lake Powell down from Glen Canyon Dam down the river starts to diminish so you know most rivers would would get bigger and bigger and wilder and with a larger floodplain all the way to the sea. Yeah. And the Colorado kind of hit, hits that peak right in the middle. Then it slowly gets smaller and smaller and more hemmed in to where when we got to the Mexico border, the river wasn't even wild enough for us to have our dory in. We had to switch to, or wasn't wide enough, pack we had raft. to switch to pack rafts because wow. w- the dory wouldn't physically fit in the river channel. You're basically an irrig- irrigation yeah. canal type situation yeah very interesting wow i didn't realize it would be that far below uh, the dams where it would actually start to feel more natural again it's crazy yeah it's my understanding that a lot of the reasoning behind your trip was to kind of set out to understand what the overall health of the river system was how was it doing what kind of methods you use to kind of analyze that and what'd you find out i don't think our main goal was to figure out the health of the river i think (laughs) it was to i think it was to know the whole river and the health was a piece of that but you know jenny and i met um you know on the green river almost i mean what 15 16 years ago and and we've spent a lot of our free time working and playing and exploring the Colorado and green and, and its tributaries. So what we really wanted to know is, you know, know this place that we love from top to bottom, you know, just like you would with anything you love, you want to know every inch of it. And so part of that was taking a look at the health and that's kind of the physical health of the river and, and the social health of the, the people along it, hence the interviews. But, you know, both of us have science backgrounds and we, we didn't take any, anything to test, you know, dissolve solids or, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. so we, we, we didn't actually do that, that health science piece. And I think a lot more of the journey for us was, was a journey of our connection to the river and to its people and, and to, and to see people's connection to one another in the river too. Is more of a curiosity about what's there and what, nice. what, you know, what it all looks like in one big, fell swoop well jenny and mike thank you so much for being here and uh talking with us today yeah thanks for inviting us thank you peggy appreciate it to learn more or listen to other science moab episodes visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts science moab media is by sophia fisher newsletter by Rhonda cook our theme music is by jeremy spaulding And the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.